Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Just this morning, Republican U.S. Senate candidate Blake Masters took a tour of our southern border and witnessed firsthand what Yuma County sees every day. We'll hear from Masters in just a moment. Then, there's no debating Katie Hobbs has refused to face off against Carrie Lake. We'll have details and reaction from Phoenix New Times political reporter Elias Weiss. Plus, we're talking rural Arizona politics with state GOP chair Dr. Kelly Ward and water policy with Republican Attorney General candidate Abe Hamaday. But first, the latest from Blake Masters. Yuma County Supervisor Jonathan Lines, State Representative Tim Dunn, and Yuma Mayor Doug Nichols, all Republicans, escorted Senate candidate Blake Masters on a tour of the border near the Morales Dam this morning. That's the point where, until recently, many asylum seekers were entering the U.S. illegally. Masters held a press conference after the tour. Here's how he responded to our question about immigration reform. Border security and immigration policy go hand in hand. They're not the same issue, they're related issues. It's been decades since we've seen meaningful immigration reform coming out of Congress. You're headed for the Senate. Is immigration reform, I know border security is a high priority for you, is immigration reform a priority for you? Because the southern border is turning into the Ellis Island of the new millennia. Yeah, it is. And you're right that they're related. You know, I think that, call me old fashioned, the correct amount of illegal immigration is zero. Maybe you can never actually quite get to zero, but man, that's the goal. And we need to drive down illegal crossings. Now, our legal immigration system is a mess, too. I tend to think that we accept too many legal immigrants over a million every year in a country where already existing Americans are are struggling. Um, And so I think we need to reform our visas. I've seen how the H-1B visa system in the sort of tech context is completely abused. It's corporate welfare for Facebook and Google at this point, right? I want the world's best and the brightest to come here, absolutely. Masters hopes to unseat Democratic Senator Mark Kelly in the upcoming general election. He's a tech entrepreneur who enjoys the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. We'll post an extended version of Masters' press conference at kawc.org. Now on to the other big political story of the week. Democratic gubernatorial candidate Katie Hobbs says she will not debate Republican Carrie Lake. Here's what Hobbs campaign manager Nicole DeMond told Capital Media Services about the decision. You can't debate a conspiracy theorist. Um, and at the last debate, she brought the conversation back to the 2020 election no less than a dozen times. Um, so when she decides to come back to reality and accept the results of our free and fair elections, then we can start to have a real policy debate. Hobbs had wanted the Arizona Clean Elections Commission to allow for individual interviews on the issues rather than the traditional face-to-face format. The commission declined and now Lake will get the time allotted for the debate all to herself. Phoenix New Times reporter Elias Weiss has been following the debate drama closely. He spoke to us about the situation and about what it says about respect for the American tradition of pre-election debates. Katie Hobbs, not going to debate Carrie Lake. Are we surprised? Yeah, it's not going to happen, and we're not surprised. Um, I did a story last week and and correctly predicted, um, I, I did a little story like three candidates, you know, we don't think are going to show up to their debates. 
Um, Katie Hobbs was one of them. Uh, we, we ended up going three for three on that story one early last week. No, we're not surprised. And the reason why is because of a, a total paradigm shift that's happening in this country and in Arizona, again, and at, at an epicenter of it here, which is that the, the American institution of the general election debate and the sanctity of it has, is really beginning to erode as the uh, Republican Party continues to fragment as both parties move towards the stream and, and the sanctity of the, of the general election debate that really has been such a tradition for so long is really starting to go by the wayside. And uh, if you're on the right, it's like, you know, uh, the commentators, they're all, you know, partisan, you know, liberal, they're getting paid off. And this is kind of the, the rhetoric and the narrative that's coming from that side. And on the left, it's like, well, I don't want to debate someone who's just going to toss out tired, you know, debunk conspiracy theories. I don't want to waste my debate time debunking. And instead, I'm just not going to show up, which I don't agree with, because at the very least, you have a responsibility to your constituents to go into a public forum and be transparent about your ideas and your plan, in my opinion. But are we surprised? No, I'm not surprised. She doesn't want to put up with Carrie. Uh, she doesn't want to spend her time uh, debunking or being on the defense all the time. And she flaked it. And she's patently non-confrontational. She's not confrontational. A new Fox poll actually gives her an edge over Carrie Lake. That's Fox News giving her the edge. So does she really need to face off with Carrie Lake? Well, look, if you're asking me, my answer is going to be yes. And it's for the reason I just said. I mean, regardless of who you're debating, um, you know, there is kind of an obligation uh, or a responsibility to be transparent with your voters and your constituents about your plans and ideas. Sure, going and having a one-on-one -on -one interview with PBS could accomplish that, but there is a dynamic in a debate, even with someone who, you know, you find to be a liar or, or crackpot, um, there's still, you know, some benefit um, in engaging with that conversation because that can bring about new ideas. Going in on, on a monologue and you've got something that's pre-prepared, it's just not as genuine. And what we get from politicians constantly is these pre-written statements, these pre-prepared monologues written by other people. And one thing that we love about debates, you know, that many voters love about debates is that that's not what you're getting when you watch a debate. You are seeing organic conversation. You're seeing new ideas coming out of organic conversation. You know, and so I think we're, you're, you're losing out on that. So does she need to in the sense that she needs to to win? No, I don't think so. I mean, Carrie Lake's stock is falling. We've done a lot of stories recently on, on you know, on, on her and, and her misadventures um, and her various endorsements and connections to, uh, to some dangerous people. And, you know, for that reason, I think her stock is falling. And certainly Katie um, has a good shot at the governorship. But do I think that, you know, she needs to to win? Yeah, no. But do I think that she needs to? Um, in terms of that, it would be the right thing to do for her campaign. You know, I'm disappointed um, that she that she chose not to engage in the traditional debate this time around. Phoenix New Times reporter Elias Weiss Hobbs also declined to debate primary opponent Marco Lopez. This is The Field from KAWC. Thanks so much for sticking around. I'm Lisa Sturgis. 
Arizona is now considered a battleground state. The state has gained increasing political prominence in recent years, with its Republican Party chair taking an active and often vocal role in the battle for ballots. We recently got the chance to sit down with Dr. Kelly Ward to talk about the support the GOP enjoys in rural Arizona and the reason it remains so strong when other places are turning purple. We are joined today by the chair of the Arizona Republican Party, Dr. Kelly Ward. Dr. Ward, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Glad to be with you. Top of mind for us down here in Yuma County is water. I've sat in on roundtable meetings with farmers from both both parties, and they were worried ahead of the cuts. What is the Arizona Republican Party's position on what we need to do with water moving forward? Yeah, as a person who lives in rural Arizona as well, you know, I live in Lake Havasu City and have since 1999. Water is of utmost importance um, to, to the people, to me, uh, and I'm sure to the people there in Yuma that are listening. And when the Central Arizona Project announced they were going to have huge cutbacks of water from the Colorado River, you know, I think 21% or something like that, it's good that Republicans came you know, in and already were working on plans. So you probably know that Governor Ducey signed Senate Bill 1740, I believe, giving WIFA, which is the Water Infrastructure Finance Authority, uh, an investment of a billion dollars over a three-year period. And it was a big partnership between, you know, the Republican governor, the Republican House, and the Republican Senate. And I think it's really important that Arizona and Arizona Republicans, in my opinion, as the chairwoman of the Republican Party, is leading the way with this investment because there really hasn't been a lot of progress in, in trying to reach a cooperative plan about what to do to save the Colorado River system. You're in Lake Havasu, so you have a bird's eye view of exactly what's going on with our river. Folks out here in rural Arizona, I've heard it time and again, they feel kind of like Phoenix and Tucson grab all the spotlight and rural Arizona gets a little neglected. The Republican Party enjoys very strong support in rural Arizona. What do you attribute that to and what do you offer for those voters in the future? You know, I served in the legislature in the state Senate as a a senator from Mojave County and La Paz. I represented La Paz as well. And um, we always were fighting against the great state of Maricopa. And so it's very important for rural legislators, Republican and Democrat, to be able to come together and have conversations about things that are important to the people that are represented no matter what political party they're in. And we were very good at doing that when I was in the legislature. You know, it's just something that you have to keep a close eye on because what is good for Phoenix and what is good for Tucson isn't always good for Yuba or Lake Havasu or Kingman um, or or uh, Sholo, you know, anywhere in the rural parts of, of our state. And so having people who who have great ideas, who are competent and qualified to serve is very important. And I think that's why Republicans are so strong in those rural areas, because our, our constituents actually know the people who are representing us from, you know, our, our senator, you know, in, in the past with, uh, with Martha McSally and, and people like that, to our Congress people. You know, Congressman Gosar is my congressman, and I love that that he has real relationships with the people on the ground, um, as well as our legislators, who are very, very close to the people. 
And so they're, you know, they send the right people to represent them at every level of government who believe in the thing that they believe in, whether that's small government or low taxes or personal responsibility or following the Constitution. And then they know that the people, the rural people, are going to hold them accountable to delivering on those things that they promised us on the campaign trail. In Yuma County, we have a very large uh, Latino population, which have been tra- traditionally Democratic. However, in recent years, we've seen more and more Latinos uh, attracted to the Republican Party. And y'all just opened uh, a outreach center in Tucson for the for for Latinos. Can you expand on some of the things that you feel that the party offers to the Latino voter? Yes. I mean, you know, as, as um, our demographics in Arizona change, they, the Hispanic population is growing larger and larger and larger. Um, I think in school and K-12 education right now, there are more people who are of Hispanic descent than any other background. And, and that's pretty historic because those people are going to be coming out and hopefully be well-educated and ready to vote. I think that what appeals to the, to this population, as to all of us as Arizonans, is making sure that our economy is strong, making sure that the opportunity for prosperity is there, making sure that our border is secure and that people are coming here legally. A lot of Democrats think that that is not something that's important to Hispanic voters, but it is very important. We've been meeting these people at their doors. And, you know, President Trump drove a lot of, of uh, Latino voters to the polls, some for the first time and some for the first time voting for a Republican because they believed in those America first uh, principles that were put forth by President Trump and people who supported him. So this year we're doing something amazing. It's called our Vamos program. And we have uh, Hispanic people reaching out to Hispanic communities, meeting them where they are asking them what is important to you in the political arena and in your day-to-day lives, and then showing them how that intersects with Republican policies. We've already been at over 75,000 doors this cycle alone, Hispanic doors, and the news is very, very good for Republicans. They are coming out in droves to support our Republican candidates, so I'm really excited about it. You touched on the border, and I'm... and. I I think it's it's no secret that the Republican Party in general favors an extremely strong, secure border. Recently, Governor Doug Ducey issued an emergency order and filled up the gaps that we have down here in Yuma County with container walls. Can you give me some reaction to that action? Well, I wish he would have done something sooner. That's, you know, of course, I've been a very strong proponent of a secure border of uh, legal immigration, stopping illegal immigration and the trafficking of humans, of drugs, of weapons, the, the humanitarian crisis that is created by the Biden administration and Democrats' policies of just allowing people to flow across that border basically unchecked. And watching um, news stories from Yuma in particular really, really drive that point home. Um, I look forward to when Carrie Lake is the governor. I have to tell you, she has a very, very strong border plan, and she plans to declare an invasion at our border, which is a bold step forward that allows Arizona to secure our border and do the things that the federal government refuses to do to keep those communities along the border safe, to keep uh, legal immigrants 
safe and to keep American citizens who were born here safe. And so I look forward to January of 2023 when that happens and we can put that plan into action. Well, the governor declared those container walls complete on the 25th. So I'm really curious to see how it's going to cut down on the crossers. I think, yeah, any, bar- any barrier will help, but I think there's some better things that we could do and, and better things are to come. So another issue that's top of mind for Yuma County is education, of course, because our children are our future. I know that uh, the party supports the voucher program. Is that voucher program going to be a good deal for kids down here in Yuma County where you have less school choice? I think that um, that school choice is imperative. And now I'll tell you, both of my parents were teachers and my dad, He's 80 years old. He is still a teacher. He now teaches in a charter school. He teaches history and he teaches math. My mom was an elementary educator for years. And I was the chairman of the education committee in the the Arizona Senate. So education is very, very important to me. And it's very important to parents out there. They want to have the best education for their children as possible. They want to make sure that their kids have academic and educational success. And I think that our public schools are great in some places, but in some places they're not so great. And I think that this educational savings account program that allows all, all parents to be able to get the best education for their kids is a great idea because it increases competition. Um, and I think competition makes everyone better. And so I look forward to seeing what, what transpires this year. And I know that, that um, over 7,000 parents, probably close to 8,000, and that was a few days ago, have already applied for these educational savings accounts. They they want to be able to have the money that the state provides to educate children to follow the child rather than to fund a system that in many cases might be a failing system. We don't want any child to be stuck in a failing system. Right now, wealthy parents are able to take their kids anywhere and put them into whatever school they, they choose and get the kind of education they want. We want that for everyone across the board, no matter what your educational level or, or your economic level, and no matter what um, your zip code. This last legislative session, we saw lawmakers pass a bipartisan budget. It was hard fought, but it got across the finish line. Is that an omen of things to come, possibly? Can we look forward to more cooperation and collaboration in state politics moving forward? Well, I can tell you that most of the things that do get passed at the legislature have bipartisan support. Even I, when I was a state senator, my last year there, I got 17 bills signed into law, and the vast majority of them had bipartisan support. Now, you'd never know that if you just listen to the media. The media stirs up all of this dissension, stirs up all of this division that doesn't actually really exist. Um, during the legislative process. Of course, there are hard-fought partisan battles, but um, just like this budget, much of what is put forward is Republican-led on the, on, you know, for the most part, thank goodness. But we are able to get a few of those Democrats and sometimes many of the Democrats to come on because they see that that policy that's put forward is actually good for the people that they represent, even if a Republican has proposed it. 
I think part of the beauty of Arizona from my own perspective is that at the end of the day, I think we're practical people and we all realize we need to get stuff done. Yes. And we, I mean, we are fiercely independent. We, we are a different breed. And believe me, I've interacted with people from all over the United States. I've lived in many places before coming to my home of Arizona, where I've lived the longest in any time of my life. And Arizona people just have grit and grace. And I think that going into 2023, we have just so much that we can do to make this state economically secure, make the people safer, um, make sure that people are prospering, and make sure that they're healthier and ultimately happier. Of course, I think that's by electing Republicans, putting those Republican principles and policies into action, because what we've seen around the world is when Republican ideas are put into practice, the people thrive. And I want that for our state, and I want that for our nation. Arizona GOP Chair, Dr. Kelly Ward, thank you so much for your time today. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. This is The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Abe Homiday wants to be Arizona's next attorney general. The Republican candidate favors a strong, secure border and promises to stay the course set by sitting AG Mark Burnovich. We also talked to Homiday about the role his office should play in water negotiations in these days of drought and all about the miles he's covered on the campaign trail. We are joined by Republican Attorney General candidate Abe Homiday. Mr. Homiday, welcome back to the show. Nice to speak with you today. Likewise, Lisa. Thanks for having me on. As we head towards the general election, we're trying to dig into some of the issues that really matter to Yuma County. And right now, top of mind is water because so much of our economy, and in fact, so much of the state's economy is driven by agriculture. So right now we're in a bunch of legal maneuvering. I mean, they're negotiating. Should the attorney general's office play a larger role in water negotiations, do you think? Well, the attorney general's office should play a role, but it's primarily going to be driven by the state legislature and the governor. Um, obviously, there's been some controversy regarding some of these contracts. And you know, I've called to look at, to have a, a re-looking at some of these contracts, especially dealing with um, some of these Saudi Arabian companies. But you know, the AG's office has an important role to play in all government affairs, and especially when it's dealing to you know, a precious resource like water that is going to be affecting Yuma County um, you know, at a, at a higher rate than say some of some of the other counties uh, in the state. But you know, the, what I'm looking at is primarily the efforts have to be addressed from the representatives who are closer to the issues, and that's going to be the, the legislature um, and the governor's obviously play a vital role as well. Let's be honest; it's a big job. The attorney general is the the top attorney in the state, and lots of consumer watchdog functions and such. A lot of the rural counties feel like it's hard to get in touch with the attorney general's office. What do you plan to do to give them a little more time and attention? Well, something, you know, how I ran this campaign, Lisa, it was very grassroots driven. I put 26,000 miles on my vehicle in about four months. And 
honestly, what too often happens is our state elected officials, once they get into Maricopa County, you know, that's where the capital is, they just hunker down there. But what I've been calling for is when I take office, I'm going to do regular town hall meetings all across the state, you know, and be, keep it at a consistent basis. But, you know, I also want to expand um, a sub, my Southern Arizona office as well, because I think too often they are, they are the ones neglected. So I want to have a lot more outreach than, than what the current administration has been doing. So I was struck by you saying that you had driven 26,000 miles on your vehicle and like, oh my goodness, well, you know, what's your takeaway as you're driving around the state? Lisa, I'm really optimistic and I'm optimistic when I meet people. I think too often what happens are the political elites and the lobbyists in town who just hunker down and hang out in the Phoenix area. You know, they, they can spread all this misery around. But when you go out into and talk to folks all across the state and rural communities of Pima County, Yuma County, uh, all over, you know, they're concerned about this country. Obviously, they're concerned about the state. I mean, when you have a wide open border and the fentanyl coming in. But what, I, what I'm optimistic about is that people are engaged in, in politics like something I've never seen before. And they want to have a say in government. And that's exactly what the purpose of the foundations of our country have been, you no, know, we the people. So that's what I'm most optimistic about is that, you know, the, people are not just going to sit around and, and just you know, not be concerned anymore. They're actually taking action. They're, they're organizing at the grassroots level. And I tell folks all the time, you know, I can't do this alone. When I, I'm just one person, when I take office, when I take the attorney general's office next January, I need help and I need eyes and ears. I need to have that relationship that I've built you know, on the campaign trail to continue when I'm in office because there, we have to maintain that, that connectivity when you're talking with the people because you're right. I mean, this is a big state. Yuma is different than Cochise County and Cochise County is different than Yavapai. So you know, that's where I've committed to continuing that style of campaigning when I'm in office. It, it, it is, I'm optimistic because the people of Arizona, we have a lot of problems like the wide open border, the fentanyl issue, the homelessness, the mental illness crisis that's going on. But ultimately I think when we have good people in government, things will get done. So you've mentioned the border a couple of times, which was my next topic, because I think water and border in Yuma, they kind of jockey back and forth for one of, for primary concern. Governor Doug Ducey recently filled five of the gaps in the border wall down here with shipping containers. Can you give me some reaction to that strategy? And let's talk a little bit more about what your strategy is for what the state can do to secure the border. Absolutely. So I was glad to see that the governor, Doug Ducey, built, uh, put those shipping containers to fill the gaps in in the walls. And I'm hearing that if it's having, you know, some good success, it's not good. It's not a bulletproof solution, but it does definitely uh, slow, um, the migration into, into Yuma, into Arizona. So I am happy to see that he built it. And I would like to continue, continue that working with governor Carrie Lake when she takes off as well. But you know, something we, I think we have to look at the larger issue right now as well as the cartels are so brazen. Lisa. I mean, the cartels are making a lot of money, not just on fentanyl, but they're actually making a lot of money on, on the, uh, on the smuggling, the human smuggling. So that's why I've committed to on day one, when I take office, on January 3rd of 2023, on day one, I'm going to work with the state legislature and the governor to classify the drug cartels as terrorist organizations. And once you label them as terrorist organizations, 
you'll be able to have enhanced sentencing guidelines on this. So instead of just getting five years or 10 years in prison for drug smuggling, there's going to be enhanced sentencing that goes on top of it. So well, that, that's what I'm committed for. And I think we have to have a much tougher posture uh, going after the cartels and making sure that we're prosecuting those who are committing these atrocities on the border. It's been a really partisan time. Like I have covered politics for a very long time and I, I don't think I've ever seen it this bitter as far as like party lines. But as attorney general, isn't that an office that should be above politics? And do you believe you have the facilities to reach across the aisle and like reach some sort of accord with Democrats and Republicans alike? Absolutely. So I think ultimately the law is the law and I'm tasked to enforce the law, Lisa. So for me as attorney general, I have to defend the state and the people of Arizona. And when you're talking about when the administration wants to lift Title 42, which has been working, right? That That's where the AG's office has to go on office and has to push back. So, you know, it, it is, to me, it's a nonpartisan issue to try to protect Arizona to uphold the law. But once you have a rogue and lawless administration, that what I'm seeing in the Biden administration right now is, is, is so damaging to the fabric of our state and to so our country. What so what would you do differently? Well, I think Mark Burnovich has actually been doing a pretty good job at pushing back against the Biden administration's federal government's overreach. And, you know, when, when, you're, when you have a federal government that is acting in, with a heavy hand, that is exactly why the attorney general exists, is to push back against unconstitutional mandates, against the uh, unconstitutional overreaches by the federal government. So I'm going to continue Mark Burnovich's you know, push back against the Biden administration. And I'm going to work with other other attorneys general across the country to do that. But it's not just the federal government, Lisa. I mean, you know, state AGs, Democratic and Republican, have been working to push back against them. Some big tech. I mean, Google. They they were found to be um, violating uh, um, some of their privacy when they were they were saying that they were not tracking location of Arizonans, but they were, and they were doing that in other states. And this was a I believe it was a over 40 state multi-state lawsuit working with Democrats and Republicans. So that, that's the issue. Ultimately, we can work across the aisle right now when you're dealing with the Biden administration. That's primarily going to be led by Republican attorneys general who are going to push back against it. Former President Donald Trump has thrown his support behind Hamaday. Be sure to join us next week when we hear from both local candidates for Southern Yuma County State Senate seat. We'll talk to Democrat Brian Fernandez and Republican Gary Garcia-Snyder. Plus, Democratic Secretary of State candidate Adrian Fontes tells us about life on the campaign trail and the Arizonans he's encountering. The Field is a production of KAWC Colorado River Public Media. Send your questions or comments to me, lisa.sturgis at kawc.org. Our theme music was composed by Steve Hennig and performed by members of the Yuma Jazz Company. For more information on their music, visit yumajazz.com. Thanks so much for listening to The Field. Remember, you can always hear the show at kawc.org, on the KAWC app, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Lisa Sturgis. I hope to see you again next week. Till then, keep yourself informed.